0: Father in heaven, you have brought us together as a family, as a household within your family, on purpose, by your choice, not by our own. We didn't choose to be here, even when we thought we did. Lord, your sovereignty is an amazing, comforting, and also frightening thing we don't call the shots. And if we want to get on board with reality, the only way for us to do that is to just soak in You, to devote ourselves, to commit ourselves to passionate prayer. Lord, when I I think of the the Moravians, that little-known band of believers in the 18th century that began a prayer vigil that lasted for more than 100 years, I just am blown away. To recognize that John Wesley, already a preacher and yet unsaved, was impacted by that ministry because they were so bathed in prayer. I feel ashamed at how little time I spend intimately and passionately with you. Lord, we want this but we are so unused to it. Change us, Lord. And today as we open your word, as we get into the book of Luke again, we see the words of our Savior. I pray that you would help us to see and to walk in the greater reality. We pray this in the name of of your Son, Jesus. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6 today as we continue our study through this this gospel. Uh, we, We call it the gospel because these gospel writers or evangelists are sharing the good news that God has reached down to us unworthy, wretched, unforgivable sinners and He has come from glory to take our sin away. Not because we deserved it, not even because we sought it, but because that is his character. And that good news constitutes the story that we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of Jesus himself, God in the flesh, the invisible God made visible for us, coming, walking among us, facing all the things that we faced, being attacked by the enemy, As Satan seeks to deceive and distract and discourage him, just as he does with us. And yet, Jesus never once sinned. Jesus is wronged and mistreated, even mocked, humiliated, and beaten until he's finally crucified and not once, not once lashes out, never once sins. Therefore, Jesus is able to carry our load, to take the sin that you and I have, even that you and I are. That's a whole other sermon. And he who knew no sin took our sin and became sin for us so that you and I could become in that trade, that cosmic swap, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the good news. And it's wrapped up in what James MacDonald would call the greatest verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is good news. The problem is, you and I have a vision issue. Now, uh, some of you, I can see out here, some of you wear glasses. And others of you are like me, and you don't want to wear glasses, but you got contacts. And I've got what you might call Coke bottle contacts. So I think my eyes, you know, eyeballs stick out past the eyelids once I get these things on. I've had bad vision since I was a kid. So I started wearing glasses when I was in about second grade, and uh, went for a number of years without them after that, because I kept losing them or breaking them. <laughs> and, you know, it gets to be a struggle. When I turned 16, I mean, my vision's bad. Right, so like without my contacts in or my glasses, uh, my mother who's sitting in the front row would have no face. You know, it, it's, I'm, I'm Mr. Magoo, for those of you who are old enough to remember Mr. Magoo. He was my role model in life. And so when I, when I turned 16, I decided I was not going to be restricted, so I was gonna pass my driver's test without my glasses. Which I did, until I was already grown and, and married, I continued to pass my driver's test without my glasses. Why? Because I knew what I was looking at. I knew what to expect. I could fake it through as well as anybody. Not feeling real confident about me driving right now, are you? So... Do you think it was a little dangerous for me to be driving without my glasses? I usually didn't drive without my glasses, by the way. But do you think it was dangerous for me to be driving without my glasses if I couldn't see what the sign said? I couldn't see perhaps if there's a pedestrian in the road? Might be kind of important. Now, I could tell it was a red sign. That means stop. I'm a smart guy. All right? But because of my lack of vision... To not see well, not see clearly, not see accurately. That was going to create all sorts of problems if it didn't get corrected. Today in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking about that very same thing. Not driving, but living with bad vision. And he is telling his disciples as well as many others who were not yet his disciples, not yet followers, they weren't believers, but they had come to see this phenomenon, maybe to get healed, to to hear the star speaker. Some, in all likelihood, were even among the religious leaders who kept trying to trap him. They seemed to turn up everywhere. So while we're not told that they're present, it's pretty likely that they were at least nearby because they never seemed to be too far away. So as he's talking, he's laying these things out specifically for those who who believe and follow, but also for those who may not, but might be within earshot. We do that all the time here in our church service. When I'm speaking, I'm primarily speaking to you who have already trusted Christ as your Savior. But I'm also at the same time speaking to those of you who have not. Because you need to. And truth is truth no matter who you're talking to. So as we walk through this, we're going to see Jesus speaking to leaders, to followers, and to the saints at large. And that will be the three areas we look at. I don't have blanks for you to fill in today. It didn't seem to, to fit that, uh, that same context the way I would normally do this. Uh, I want to be able to, to talk through this with you. So as we see this, we'll see three different groups that he's talking to, three different messages, and in many cases, it's the same people that fall into all three categories. Okay, Many of you here are leaders, but you are also followers. You have others who lead you, and you're also part of the family of God, you're saints, and so you fall into all three categories. Same thing happening here in Luke chapter 6. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. If you don't uh, if you don't have a Bible with you or you don't have a Bible of your own, I would encourage you to use one of ours because you want to see what the Word says, not just what I say. So if you need a Bible, just put your hand up. Uh, Michael's back there. He'll, he'll make sure that you're connected, but you want to be able to, to see that. I'll be reading from the 1984 edition of the NIV, so if your words sound a little bit different, it's because um, I'm an OG. I'm straight old school here. So, uh, as we get into this, let's take a look at it. I have uh, challenged us as a body to read through this chapter once a week, each week while we're going through it. I'm going to pick up with the beginning of the sermon in verse 20 and read through the end of the chapter. We are going to focus our attention on verses 39 through 42. Beginning with verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you will, you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, your outer garment, do not stop him from taking your tunic, your shirt. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies... Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you a good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, then you'll be able to, to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? <laughs> Don't do what I say. I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed. And its destruction was complete. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You know, as we uh, walk through this, the reason I want us to read this together is it's one sermon. We're breaking it into chunks and basically taking these, uh, these smaller points that Jesus is talking about and working through them together. But it's one sermon. There is an overarching theme that he has that is a a foundation or a springboard for the other points. And we saw that early on in these blessings and woes, these beatitudes and, and pitiable thoughts. As he says, hey, you're in great shape when you think you're in bad shape. Because God's got this handled. And you're going to see an eternal reward even when you don't see it now. And when you think you're in great shape and you're leaning on your own strength, it reminds me of of, an Old Testament verse. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. You think you're in great shape with your strength and your wealth and your comfort and your intellect and your reputation. Great. I feel bad for you. Because you've got what you're going to get that greater reality that he's talking about is that everything that we see and we sense and we perceive in this world is limited, it's temporary, it's tainted. It will all pass. Good, bad, indifferent, it will all go away. There's an eternal reality which is ultimately the only reality that matters. This is the only thing that matters. Am I in line with what God says? Am I pleasing the master and creator of the universe? Because all of that lasts. That goes beyond. And all the things that I do here that seem so important, so desperately urgent, are gone in a moment. Every single one of us, without exception, should the Lord tarry, will die you better get ready for it, because it's going to happen. Other than the rapture, it's the only way off the planet. So let's stop stressing about things that we will lose when we die in that moment, and begin to focus our eyes, as Paul said in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, let's, uh, let's begin to focus our eyes heavenward on the eternal things, the things that are unseen. Set your minds on things above, not on things of earth that undergirds this entire message so when jesus talks about loving your enemies what he's saying is stop seeing things from a natural perspective from an earth perspective and begin to see through my eyes follow me that's always the call isn't it follow me it's not simply as we've too often sold it believe in me now All that is required for you to be saved is to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. But that implicitly means always, this picture is always the case through the Old Testament into the New Testament, and Jesus really drives it home. Paul explains it as we go through the letter. It's all right there. If you believe, then you will walk in it. If you believe this, you will be changed and you will move your feet and your hands in keeping with that beat. Not perfectly. Most of us here can can have an imperfect rhythm and can get off beat sometimes. All of us tend to struggle with sin. That doesn't mean that you're not saved. But when the inclination of your heart and mind is to do things your way instead of God's way, then you are a natural person, not a supernatural person. His spirit in us draws us to something different. And we find, I'm getting a little off track, I don't want to get too far out of this, we find with his spirit in us that when we begin to go our way instead of his way, there becomes a gnawing inside of us that just on, keeps on tapping, saying, I don't think so. This might make sense to you, but there's something inside that tells you God has a different expectation. We can begin to clarify that as we get into the Word, which is what we're going to do now. So as we look at this text, what we're seeing is Jesus expanding this greater reality into behaviors. He's done this into how we love our enemies, how we treat those who treat us badly, and he kind of almost scoffs at the idea that we should be fair and and just in a sense of fairness because everybody does that for the most part as a rule okay bad guys are bad guys but as a rule there's you know as they say honor among thieves you take care of me i'll take care of you you scratch my back i'll scratch yours we see that even in politics there's all kinds of corruption but there's a sense of fairness in the corruption. We cannot afford to live the natural life once we've tasted of the greater reality. So he develops that. Then he, he goes into this idea of judging others, which is really an extension of that uh, loving your, your enemies. And when he says don't judge others, he's not talking about shutting off your brain, not discerning between what is good and what is bad, who is good and who is bad, an overstatement, we'll develop that as we go. Because he's about to say, in what we'll see today, that you must use judgment. So he says, don't judge, and here he's essentially saying, judge. In other texts, he says it specifically. Here it's implicit. Use your mind, your mind governed by the Spirit of God, to discern whether someone should be followed or not. To discern whether you are leading in keeping with truth or not. To discern whether you are able to help your brother or not. All of these things are judgments. So when Jesus speaks of not judging, what he's talking about is not pronouncing judgment on others. He's talking about not condemning. Here today, in verses 39 to 42... He's talking about how we see one another and how we see ourselves. He's speaking primarily to the, uh, of the Pharisees as he's talking to his disciples. And he's letting his disciples know that these are not people you should be following because they got the eyesight of Ziger at 16 behind the wheel. You don't want to be following people who don't know where they're going because they're blind. And on top of that, you need to recognize that you will become like those you follow. Very, very true, very, very overlooked basic reality. Beyond that, even for those of us who have followed the truth, we have embraced the word of God and we are following Christ, not not a, a human personality, we still have blind spots that we need to be aware of. And before I can help somebody else, i got to deal with my own stuff. This all wraps up in the core reality for today. It's simple, even though it's a little longer than I might normally want to use. Simply this. Those who belong to God must view themselves and others through the lens of reality. Got it? Those who belong to God must view themselves and others through the lens of reality. Let's say it together. Those who belong to God must view themselves and others through the lens of reality. When we're talking about reality, we are are specifically referring to ultimate reality. Not my perception of reality in this life, which is short-sighted, limited, and tainted by sin. Not what seems real, but what actually is real. Jesus focuses on what is real throughout his earthly ministry as an extension of what is eternal and already uh, built into the system, Jesus comes and he clarifies the law of God because we've missed it. The Jews had turned the law of God into religion and it never was that. It was simply God expressing his heart and his will in tangible physical ways to point his people Back to the reality that he created in the first place. That's what faith is. Aligning my thoughts with truth. Beginning to live in alignment with the reality of God. The more I do this, the better I will find the results. That does not mean I will not have suffering and hardship. Again, look to the example of Christ. Did Jesus have suffering and hardship? I don't believe it. Did Jesus have suffering and hardship? Yes. Of course, He did. He went to the cross. He took on my suffering and hardship in addition to what He faced just walking through the world, like all of us do. So don't hear me saying that if you belong to God and you do the right things and you think the right thoughts and you follow the scriptures, that everything's going to be a bowl of cherries. That's not how it works. But we are called to be supernatural rather than just natural. He talks to leaders, followers, and the saints at large. So let's kind of take a look at this. First off, in uh, verse 39, we see him say this, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? This is a memory verse for today. I would challenge you to, to commit this to memory. Basic proverbial truth. It's not hard to see. If you follow somebody who is blind, you're in bad shape. If you are blind trying to lead somebody, you're going to be in bad shape. Last night we were coming back from the fair, and I have been complaining for days that it's been this way since I was a kid. Somehow, Shawnee Road is the darkest road in America. I don't know how, I don't know why. It just always, every year when I drive down there, it seems like light is instantly absorbed in that area. So rather than taking the back roads like I normally would uh, when it comes nighttime, I said, let's, you know, let's take the bypass, we'll come across 12, it'll be easier for me to be able to see things. And as we're driving home, I complained to Shelly, I seem to be doing a lot of complaining about driving. I complained to Shelly that as you come from the fairgrounds, from the east to, to the west to get onto the 31 bypass to then come down toward Niles, the sign for it, the South Bend uh, on-ramp is past the on-ramp. Well, it's the same for both sides, so it has to be, right? And I almost missed the road because I'm going to the side. So I turn a little earlier, and as I tell her this, she says, Rich, you're going to run into the curb! Because I turned too early. Why? Because I couldn't see. Probably should have had Shelly driving. If you can't see, you're both going to end up in a wreck. Jesus is saying this, specifically referring to the Pharisees, but it's a broader truth. And we'll see Paul bring this out later on in in 2 Timothy especially. Um, John brings it out in his letters. Uh, Paul says it again to the Galatians as they're being sucked back into the religion of the Jews, um, that there are false teachers who just don't know truth. They think they know truth, but they are blind. They don't know it, they don't see it. Don't follow them, both of you will wreck. It's a pretty basic principle, and it's not really hard for us to see. But those who don't know the truth can't teach the truth. I would drop that down in my notes if I were you. Those who do not know the truth cannot teach the truth. There is a general blindness here that he's talking about. Be aware of your blindness. I have to be aware of truth if I'm going to lead anyone else. This is why I will regularly encourage each of you as, I, as we speak individually, if you're seeking wisdom, seek wisdom from older believers. There are a lot of good podcasts and authors and folks out there that you can get some good wisdom from, but their perspective is from the flesh. And the, the sin in all of us, darkens our intellect. So if I begin to see a truth, I'm only going to be able to see a partial truth if I don't know the maker of truth. I'll be able to see, but as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, only as through a glass darkly. My view will be distorted. I can see that there's something there, but I can't quite tell what it is or where it is. I know that there is a truth. That doesn't mean that it is actually the truth. There's a great phenomenon going on, uh, particularly in our nation, but, but uh, around Western culture uh, with a, a blogger, YouTuber um, named Jordan Peterson. That wasn't really where he started out, but uh, it, he's become a phenomenon. And he speaks great wisdom in many ways. However, his wisdom is limited because he is, an, I think he would call himself an atheist, but he's at least an agnostic, and does not believe in the God of the Bible as, he quotes the Bible a lot as worthwhile myth, but his view of reality is limited. I would agree with most everything that he says, but his view of reality is limited. We need to seek wisdom from those who actually know wisdom. The book of Proverbs tells us that The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. When I know God, when I have a relationship with the maker of truth, that's when I find truth. When I find my answers in God's word, that's where I find it. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. You don't have to turn there. I'm a little behind on my outline here, so I want to make sure that I get through this. But Romans 1, chapters 18 to 20, speaks of those who have suppressed the truth through their wickedness. God has revealed himself, before we ever even get to the scripture and divine revelation, God has revealed himself through creation. We can see that there is a God. There is a God-shaped hole in every one of us, as the philosophers have said. The reality is God has set eternity in our hearts, as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. And we keep on hunting for it, and hunting for it. But the only thing that can fill that is him. If we follow those who don't know him, then we follow those who don't know truth. That's a general blindness. There is a a call to leaders that he's saying, if you don't know the truth, you can't teach the truth. There's also a call that he's giving here to followers. Notice in verse 40. He just told, told them, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? and he goes directly into this next statement. Notice this now. A student is not above the teacher. He brings that up elsewhere. A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. This is his message to followers, right? As you are doing this, the student becomes like the teacher. We become like those we follow. I would jot that down. We become like those we follow. If you are reading a particular author, that author will have a a shaping effect on your mind. If you're listening to particular sermons or podcasts, that will have a shaping effect on your mind. You will become like them. That can be a wonderful thing if they're taking you in the right direction. That can be a horrific thing if they're taking you in the wrong direction. We live in a world filled with One of the downsides of the Reformation was that the the sense of authority within the church was lost. The sense of cohesiveness was lost. The preponderance of the Reformation was a good thing. However, one of the struggles is now, as we can see in America today, anybody can start a church. Anybody, especially with the internet, anybody can start a YouTube channel or a podcast and say, I have the truth of God. We've been seeing for centuries, people start what they often call the true church. The Latter-day Saints began from the belief that Joseph, Joseph Smith had uh, this belief that all of the churches were corrupt and had been, and then somehow received a vision from from God as an angel appeared to him and received this scripture that was somehow then taken up to heaven before anybody else got to see it. But this this dynamic taught what he felt should have been, and I almost apologize for anyone who's offended by what I'm saying with this. There is a reality that we want to shape our religion into things that fit our mind. We've been doing this for a long, long time. We could go through the Hutterites and the Millerites and so many different uh, teachers who get caught up in a personality and they then follow that personality. That becomes a real problem when that personality gets off track. I don't, I don't need to go into a lot of names of it right now, but there are a lot of cults in America, all of which claim to have truth, many of which claim to actually just be another denomination of Christianity, and yet they're teaching falsehood. Because that is so comfortable and so easy within the church itself, the true saints of God, falsehood still gets taught and creeps in. We need to be aware who we are listening to, who we are following. Seekers filling filling a hollowness are easily duped, easily deceived. We know we need something. We seek after that something. But truth is bigger than a personality. Truth is bigger than a personality, whether that personality is someone who makes us feel good, with that self-help kind of talk and encouraging words and, you know whatever that is, if if you came to real life to hear a preacher, then you're going to be seriously disappointed. If you follow Joel Osteen because he's a popular preacher, you are going to be seriously disappointed. Or John Piper or Max Lucado. Stick a name in there. If it's about the person, you are going to end up in a struggle. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's not about imitating Paul, it's about imitating Christ. And Paul's giving you an example of that. To the extent that our leaders follow Christ, then they are worthy of following. Again, I would jot down, truth is bigger than a personality. Sometimes they make us feel good. Sometimes it's those who make us feel penitent. Who lead us into a performance-based religion so we can feel better about ourselves by checking off religious boxes. If we do things so that we feel appropriately guilty, then we feel more spiritual. Easy for false teachers to catch us there as well. Jot this down. We must know the truth and character of those we follow. We must know the truth and character of those we follow. Paul encouraged Timothy to remember the things that he had been taught because he knows those from whom he learned that. Luke, even in his own gospel here, is appealing to his own character with Theophilus. In chapter 1, verse 4, when he says, I, I'm, I'm writing this so that you can know with certainty. That's an inherent appeal to his own character. Listen, Theo, you know me. You trust me. Because you trust me, you can trust what I'm telling you. And I'm telling you, I've worked through this stuff. It matters who we trust. We have to know the character and the knowledge of that person. And a person with character will admit when they don't have knowledge. Right? Does that make sense? A person with character is humble enough to say, you know what? I don't know. River Valley High School had a baseball coach here recently uh, who is no longer coaching there. Uh, who was a good baseball player. And knew a lot of stuff one of the things I admired most about him was he was very quick to say I don't know everything so I'm gonna bring in people who know more than I do even if that's hard even if that's a humbling experience I want to bring in somebody who knows more than I do that is what character does he speaks to leaders he speaks to followers and thirdly here he speaks to the Saints at large to the family You put to the brethren. He's speaking to family members who are together in the body. I originally had 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 the plank-eyed saints because that's really what we are very often. Notice what he says here in, in those verses. Starting with verse 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, Notice, he's not saying don't look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye. He's saying you're not paying attention to the fact that you got a log in your face, man. you got to get this dealt with. You're looking at the small thing and missing the big thing. Notice his point as he goes on. How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's not saying don't help your brother. If somebody's got a painful piece of you know, sawdust in their eye, they could use help. That's a real thing. But if you got a board sticking out of your face, you're not gonna be any help. Here, let me, let, me, let me get you. Oh, bam, oh, bam, oh, I can't see. That's like me trying to drive after passing my driver's test without, without my glasses. I'm not helping anybody that way. I don't want a surgeon who has done that to come in. Hey, let me, I'm going to go do this open heart surgery on you. And I forgot my glasses, but you know, it's not that big of a deal. I kind of know where everything is anyway, right? You wouldn't want that. Jesus is saying, look, you are family. You are responsible to one another. Yes, you should absolutely help your brother or sister out. When you see them in sin, when you see them following a false teacher, when you see them not getting into the Word, you should absolutely get involved in that. We've fallen into this worldly mentality that it's none of my business. It's none of my business. You do you, I'll do me. That's not how family works. We're in this together. Jesus says we're one body. We're one church together. We are his bride. And if we're not going to take care of one another, if we're not going to help each other out, then we're going to struggle. But how can I do that if I'm wrapped up in my own blind spots? I don't often recommend professional counselors, although I know that there are many good ones out there, because I have so often seen bad ones who call themselves Christian counselors, but teach from a basis of secular psychology or sociology and just tag on some Bible verses here and there. Counselors who give advice that comes from the wisdom of the world rather than the wisdom of God. That's that's a bad place to be. Incidentally, if any of you know of good, solid Christian counselors, please let me know, because... I want to be able to recommend them, I just don't know them, I'm sure they're out there. But we've got to be able to find true wisdom, true wisdom. Human understanding, secular psychology and sociology can find the problem a lot of the time. We're pretty good at at diagnosing symptoms, but we don't have the cure. I don't need to just know that there's something wrong, I already know that. I need the cure as a Christ follower, I have to be aware that I've got blind spots in my own life. And I can't hide from those things. And if I can recognize them and deal with what's wrong in my own life, then I can begin to see clearly, because seeing clearly is the point, to be able to view myself and others through the lens of reality. But I've got to strip away my own pain, my own fears, each one of us, deals with wounds and fears. And very often we operate from that base of operations. If you grew up in a broken home, you have a particular mindset that was shaped by that. It may not look exactly the same as everybody else's, but you've been shaped by that. If you were cheated on by a spouse, that has impacted you. There's a wound there. You need to recognize it and acknowledge it and deal with it. If you have got an addictive behavior in your life that shapes the way you think, addiction changes our neural pathways and our physical brain, but it absolutely creates strongholds in our heart that keep us from being able to see rightly. I cannot think soberly if I am inebriated. In the same way, I cannot think rightly when I'm drunk on worldly thinking. I have to be able to see truth before I can offer any help to anybody else. I've got to get the plank out of my own eye if I'm ever going to be any kind of help to anybody else. <clears throat> we often are working from our wounds. We're controlled by our baggage or our besetting sins. We know the truth, but we've been blocked from it. I have to deal with my plank, my block, that, that thing that is keeping me from the truth I already own. That's the difference between the blind guides of the Pharisees and the plank eyed saints. The plank eyed saints are saints, but their vision has been obscured because they have something in their eye. I have to recognize that and deal with it so that I can get past it. I'd encourage you to write this down. I can't help others unless I recognize my own blind spots. I can't help others unless I recognize my own blind spots. So what does it matter? Why does this stuff matter ultimately? Luke has been uh, establishing this foundation for a confident faith. He's been giving us a reason to believe as he's been giving Theophilus a reason to believe. To say, I've researched this, I've checked out the veracity of this, I've gone to the eyewitnesses that I could find, and he's sharing here the actual teachings of Christ. Why does it matter? Because Jesus is God. And the word of God either is 100% authoritative or it's just another book. that sink in for just a moment. How do you and I approach the Word of God? Is it just another religious book? Or is this the governing authority of our lives? Because here's the thing. This matters. Because if I'm going to do only the things I understand in Scripture... That's like, I'm only going to obey laws I agree with in society. How's that work? I, I know there are laws against robbing banks, but I'm broke and there's a lot of money there and I think I should be able to have it. Therefore, I think I'm exempt from that law. It can't really mean I shouldn't take that money. We all recognize the foolishness of this. If God's word is God's word... And Jesus is saying, look, you need to to see things rightly, then we'd better take it seriously. We need to recognize who is qualified to lead and who is worth following. And we need to recognize that we're called to help one another, but we can only do it when we see rightly. How's this going to impact my daily walk? You know, if... If I'm seeing life through this greater reality, this lens of reality, in view of eternity and truth and grace, recognizing that the only reality is God, it's it's just the reality of God that matters in the realities of our everyday life, then I'm going to see that we have to lead from that reality. For those of you who are in leadership positions, whether in the church, at work, in government, in your family... You're a leader if there is someone following you. If you're in a leadership position, or should be, we have to lead from that reality. We have to to get that reality of God in our minds so that I can recognize that my wisdom is limited. God's wisdom is unlimited. James 1.5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should seek God, he should ask God who gives that wisdom liberally, without finding fault. He wants you to be able to have that wisdom. He wants you to follow him. We need to lead from that reality. Secondly, we must also choose to follow only those whose character and teaching reflect that reality. Don't follow someone just because they sound good, they look good, they're popular. Check it always against the Word of God. Check it always against the Word of God. Let me give you a little tip, by the way. If you're listening to podcasts or sermons or reading books or hearing songs on the radio that take a little piece of Scripture and build around it outside of that context, there should be red lights going off. Anytime you have a sermon built around one verse i got five here, I think. Anytime you're built around one verse without seeing the greater context and how it fits in, you're getting into dangerous waters. You may be right, but you're teetering on the edge of dangerous places. It's easy to take verses out of context and make them say whatever we want them to say. Be very, very wary of that. We must choose to follow only those whose character and teaching reflect that reality of eternity, truth, and grace. We must remove from our own lives anything that hampers our spiritual vision. What is it that's keeping you from seeing yourself rightly? Is it fear? Pain of the past? Fear of the future? Pain of the past? Are you you walking in your own wounds? Because those things keep you from seeing truth. Have you prioritized your politics over the truth of God's word? Because if you're more committed to your party, whatever that might be, than you are to the Word of God, you've got a plank in your eye that's going to keep you from being able to function. Are you more committed to your comfort, to your habits, to your reputation? All of these things can create blind spots that we have to deal with. Remove those planks. We have to remove anything from our own lives that might hamper our spiritual vision. So we wrap this up, recognize this core reality that we said before. Those who belong to God must view themselves and others through the lens of reality. Let's close with a word of prayer, please. Father in heaven, you have given us your word, you have given us your spirit. You have given us your special messengers and the apostles, and you've given us teachers and and, uh, elder brothers and sisters in the faith to mentor and guide us. Don't allow us (laughs) to be more American than Christian. Don't allow us to be renegades, Father, to, to lean on our own understanding. Teach us instead to trust in you with our whole heart, even when we don't understand. Father, help us to acknowledge you, to submit to you in all of our ways, trusting that you'll straighten out our path. As we go from this place, Lord, into our daily lives, into our relationships and our workplaces, and even into the time we're going to have here in a few moments to, to discuss the potential purchase of church property, We ask that you would be our vision, Lord, that you would be our guide, that you would take us into that place of reality so that we could see rightly. Shape us by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name.